Scripture reading tonight will be Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Good evening. It is a humbling and yet horrifying thought for me to consider that there are many who just, when we look around, um, may at some point leave God behind and never come back. I'm not necessarily looking for a show of hands, but I'm sure there are many of you who maybe were raised in the Lord's church, were, were, were working faithfully for him, and at some point the world ensnared you. At some point you went and you temporarily went to join the world in its worthless ways. And yet when you found that those ways were indeed without profit, you returned. And you, and you spent time thinking through that decision, but now you can look at it having seen both angles of, of life, seeing that the way of living that's for God is far better than the way that's living for self. At the same time, if I asked those exact same people who have gone on that journey, how many of them know of people who went into the world and never came back, I'm sure there'd be a resounding number. The fact of the matter is when we think about God, when we think about our lives and how we ought to connect ourselves to him, the thing that we ultimately must realize is that, is that God desires that we live for him. God commands that we live for him. And Solomon sums that up well in the first line of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember your creator, remember your creator. In your youthful days before the evil days come and years arrive of which you think there is no joy in them for me. What is it that we are to, oh. Okay, the, the screen up here isn't, isn't on for me, so I'm, so I'm having to look back and make sure that things are switching. So Ecclesiastes 12, it exhorts us to do three things. When we really consider this chapter thoughtfully, there are three things that this chapter exhorts us to. The first thing that it exhorts us to is devotion. In verses one through eight, we find that it exhorts us to devotion. We're to live a life that glorifies God and that glorifies all things that are of him, a life that edifies the people of God. It's not a life that's meant to be lived for self. Then in verses nine through 12, we'll find, I hope this is switching behind me, in verses nine through 12, we find that we are supposed to live lives of wisdom, that God exhorts us to live lives of wisdom and to have the discernment to know how we find wisdom and how we would live lives that aren't of wisdom. And finally, the last thing that we are given, that we are exhorted to do, is to seek after righteousness. To seek after righteousness. When you look in verses 13 through 14, which was read for us just a moment ago, the entire duty of mankind is to fear God and to keep his commandments. That is what we are called to do. There is nothing else that matters for us in this life than to fear God and to keep his commandments. Bearing those things in mind, let's go ahead and start by talking about our devotion to God, that God expects our utmost devotion. Let's start by reading verses one through eight together. Verses one through eight. 
Also, remember your creator in your youthful days before the evil days come and years arrive of which you think there is no joy in them for me. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when housekeepers tremble and the strong are stooped and the millers or molars cease working, for they have become few. And those looking through windows are dimmed and street doors are shut up. The mill is in a quiet voice and a voice goes up high as the song of a bird and all daughters of song are muffled. Also they are afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way and the almond tree blossoms and the locust moves forward, slowly moves forward and the caper buds will be, will be brought down, broken down because the man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go around the streets. Before the silver cord is removed and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the paddle wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return to the God who gave it. The first thing that we find from these first eight verses is to be devoted in your youth. There are several examples that follow this, several metaphors that follow that really are images of what it looks like to age. Many Hebrew scholars have noted that these images are very akin to the apocalyptic language you would find in the book of Daniel, for example. And may I just quickly suppose that perhaps these words are used in such a dramatic way to emphasize that maybe we're not talking about the end of the world here, but the end of one's world that's often perceived through age. But that's all encompassed by the admonition to be devoted in your youth. It's true, and it's something that we should keep saying, better late than never, when it comes to spiritual things. I am living proof that it is better to be late than never. But at the same time, I also suggest that it is indeed better to be early than late. May I suggest that the best time to start learning about God is when you were young. Be devoted in your youth. And as we just alluded to in verses two through six, Solomon then encourages us to be devoted as we age, to be devoted as we age. Again, each of these metaphors that are used, there could be an endless amount of time speaking to them, but let's just sum it up as this. There are going to be things that happen as we age. I know very little of it yet, yes, I know. But there are gonna be things that happen to us as we age, and they're going to feel awful. It's going to feel like the world around us is shutting in. It's going to feel like everything around us is broken because everything within us, some would say, is becoming broken. I don't say that at all to make light of it. I say that to seriously acknowledge the fact that life changes. And these apocalyptic images are oftentimes a good summary of how it can feel to age as far as I'm aware. And yet, remember that this is all still coming after the imperative that's given in verse 1 to remember your creator, to still be devoted in your youth. Us aging should never take away from our devotion to God. But finally, he says to be devoted before you die. Thank you so much for, for getting the screen off for me, by the way, that, that helps. I was gonna be looking back and forth. I forget things all the time. Verses seven and eight, be devoted before you die. If that sounds dramatic, well, it's really not. It's just the way that it's phrased here. I would dare say that it's verse eight that really tears apart the notion this is concerning some eschatological idea. 
because it ends up saying, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to the God who gave it. It clearly is showing a progression that comes. And we can break down every bit of the literal language that's used here, but let's not lose the metaphor. Let's not lose the forest for the trees. God calls us to be devoted to him. God commands that we be devoted to him every day of our lives. Verses 9 through 12, he shifts gears. There's, there's, a, there's an actual shift in how this is in, in the structure here. Grammatically, we can see there's a shift. And so we find that he's not speaking to this process of aging like he was a second ago. We're now going into the concluding material for the book of Ecclesiastes. But despite that, this still falls neatly within the outline. Verses 9 through 12 would encourage us to have wisdom. Verses 9 through 12, let's read those together. Vanity of vanity, said the preacher, all is vanity. And also the wise preacher taught the people knowledge and balanced and scrutinized to arrange many proverbs. The preacher sought to find pleasing words and wrote right, truthful words. Wise words are like the cattle goads and like driven nails are the mentors of the collected sayings given from each shepherd. And also, my son, beyond these writings beware. There is no end to the excessive production of writings, and much study is weariness to flesh. Wisdom. What Solomon exemplifies for us is that seeking after true godly wisdom requires three things. First of all, it requires truthful instruction. It requires truthful instruction. There are several that can teach us their ways and teach us their methods of living a good life, but I promise you God's way is the best way. Look at what the wise preacher did. He taught the people knowledge and he balanced and he scrutinized to arrange many proverbs. May I suggest that sometimes, whereas there are indeed some who, who thoughtfully ponder before they give an answer to a difficult question and before they give insightful life advice, or we pray it is insightful, there are also those who just spout nonsense. There are also those people who oftentimes have the spotlight that just say nothing but dumb things. And who knows, I'm probably one of them. All of us at some points have, have things that we say that are simply not wise. However, to be like the wise preacher, our goal should be to constantly teach people knowledge, to balance, to scrutinize the things that we say. And I recognize that none of us in here can claim that we're writing an inspired piece of scripture here, but what I would still encourage us to take away here is that if we're going to say anything, may it be um, verbally to another person or in written form on social media, or if any of us aspires to write a book someday about religious things or otherwise, let us do so very thoughtfully and very carefully. Because by God's standard, there's a way for us to know whether what we're saying is actually wise or whether it's really, really stupid. Truthful instruction is required for us to have true wisdom. Second thing we can note here is that it requires stable direction. It requires stable direction. Note this, wise words are like the cattle goads and like driven nails are the words, are the mentors of the collected sayings given from each shepherd. These two images, I'll try my best to not belabor these, and I may be misunderstanding these, but cattle goads, you're ultimately talking about these long sticks with pointed ends that guide and direct the cattle. And so in one way or another, what he's saying is that wise words, what they do for us is akin to what, to what a cattle goat would do for cattle. We're, we're being guided and directed. We're being led in the right direction by wise words. And driven nails, I mean, I'm sure that we don't need to think about this for too long. 
when you, when you drive nails into something, it makes it secure, it makes it firm, and it makes it solidified. So often we can go to people who claim that they're teaching us wisdom, but really just leave us walking away with more questions. Now, there is a place for us to say, I don't know. Let us never get to a place where we're seeking certitude so greatly that we never consider true ambiguity and true humility in how we answer people. At the same time, there are individuals who would tell you that we can't know God's will from his word. There are individuals who, who would tell you that we can't know how to be saved, that we can't know how he wills for us to be worshipped. And that is just not correct. People who are claiming, rightfully claiming, to teach the word of God are those who are willing to give stable direction to other people, not just direction to other secular sources who happen to agree with them, not just sources who may be religious but really know nothing of what they're talking about, stable direction, godly direction. That's what true wisdom should lead us through. And finally, and perhaps this is the one that's most difficult for many, humble satisfaction in the wisdom that we've gained, humble satisfaction. What does Solomon say here? Again, I, I want to be very clear here. We're not trying to just, to just thoughtlessly take things out of context and say, this is what I know Solomon was talking about when he wrote this. I'm not claiming that one moment. But let's not miss a clear application here as it stands. And also, my son, beyond these, beware. There is no end to the excessive production of writings, and much study is weariness to flesh, or weariness to the body. Some translations have it. <clears throat> It is very possible to study yourself sick. John's talked about this before, and I'll briefly confess this as well. When I hear about another side of a religious issue, the natural thing for me to try and do is to learn as much about it as I possibly can. Because I want to know how to answer each person, and I think that applying Colossians 4, 6 means that I need to know every nook and cranny of this argumentation to be able to perfectly break it down and destroy it line by line syllogistically. That's not necessarily what that means, though. It's good to have an awareness of what people around us are saying. It's good to not create straw mans and not create impressions of what we think our religious friends are saying. At the same time, there is a place to just say, I'm content with what God has said to me. And that sure, there are several ideas that may pique my interest, that I may temporarily look at for, for a time. But ultimately, can we just be satisfied with what God has given to us through his perfect word? A clear application of what Solomon says here is that sometimes we need to be very um, aware, we need to beware, we need to be warned against some of these things that are being pushed and perpetuated by worldly people, even by religious people, who again may be trying to zealously follow after God but are doing so without knowledge. Let's thoughtfully and with discernment consider the things that we hear. And let's be satisfied with the answer that God has given us to a question, even if it's the answer that we don't want. Our search for other answers that more so satisfy our own minds and hearts often leads us away from God. If we want true wisdom, we need to have truthful instruction, stable direction, and humble satisfaction in what he has given to us. But finally, as was read to us just a moment ago, ultimately, 
God calls us to righteousness and Solomon writes that we need to seek after righteousness. And here's how he says it. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is for all mankind. For all works God will bring judgment for everything hidden, whether good or evil. Righteousness. The first part of this is pretty non-controversial, right? Fear God. I think many could, would say that, yeah, I, I fear God. And that's a wonderful thing. It's good for us to have the proper respect for God. I think also that sometimes when we talk about the word fear, we dichotomize it. We say that it's either fearing the judgment or it's just having a healthy respect for God. And may I just suggest that even though that dichotomization is helpful in some cases, it's not always true to the range of this word. Could it not be the case that as we seek to live after him dutifully and as we seek, to seek, out, as we seek after him lovingly, that we at the same time are aware of what will happen if we stop doing so? And we shouldn't let our faith be driven purely by fear, but I would say that respect does help. Both of those aspects of what it means to fear God are important. The point of all this being, though, we need to fear God. That part, not many would have any problem with. But there's another thing that Solomon says here, and I don't believe he means it to be a separate point altogether. I think rather these two are, are supposed to be considered one unit in a sense, even though they are two items in the sentence. Keep his commandments. Now, I don't want to um, try to claim that there is a complete grammatical and syntactical um, um, equivalence between statements like this and statements like Jesus would say, such as, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm not claiming there's a direct equivalency there. I think that that would be a little irresponsible of me to do. But what I will say is, a common theme that we find all throughout scripture is that saying I know God is not enough to actually know God. And saying that I fear him is not enough to, to prove that I actually fear him. We talked about this morning from James chapter 3, how we're supposed to demonstrate our good works in the humility of wisdom. It means it has to be something that's proven, right? It's something that needs to be evidenced. In a similar way, if you actually fear God, you keep his commandments. If you believe you can fear God without doing what he says, I strongly question your fear. Fear God and keep his commandments. And what Solomon says is that, is that this is for all mankind. There's not a single person who is exempt. There's not a single person in the condition of accountability that is exempt from this point. Now, again, we must understand that the Old Testament here would, would mean a couple of different things than what the New Testament would mean, but certainly the application for Christians, it, it, it's, it's, it's completely um, recognizable when we spend enough time thinking on it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this, is, for this is for all mankind. What we're finally told, not necessarily in an imperative statement, but nonetheless in a warning, is to await his judgment. The ESV says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If we want to be righteous, we need to fear God, we need to keep his commandments, but we also need to know that he is going to judge us by our actions. He's not just going to judge us and say, well, you said that you loved me and that's enough for me. No, 
if we love him, if we truly fear him, let's have the humility and the meekness to actually do what he says. Even when the word of God challenges us, even when the word of God convicts us, even when the word of God completely and totally humiliates us in our sin, let's continue to submit to the mighty hand of God. And in doing so, when we thoughtfully obey him, we await his judgment. And for us, it will be a glorious and wonderful day. Even though we are to fear God, let's not look to the judgment completely in fear. Let's look to it with joy. And if it is a scary thing for you, which I think it's a healthy um, humility for us to have some fear about it, but nevertheless, God calls us to have confidence. If we are fearing him and doing what he says, God calls us to righteousness, and that's what Ecclesiastes 12 ends off on. I'm unaware of a single person who claims to fear God in any way, shape, or form who would say, I don't want to be with God for all eternity. I've never heard of a person who claims to fear God ever saying that. Maybe you have, that's new to me. There are many who would say that they want to be with God for eternity, but let's just leave with this point. If we want to live with God in eternity, we must live for God in our mortality. Our finite being should point us closer to the infinite God who created us. In other words, if we want to be with God later, we need to be with him now. Everything that we do, every decision that we make, really is an opportunity to bring us closer to God if we allow it to be. And at the same time, Every decision that we make is an opportunity to pull us farther away from God if we allow it to do so. Let us choose the former and not the latter. Remembering our creator has to first start by knowing our creator. To know that God sent his son to die on the cross for every single one of our sins. That he loved us so much that he wanted, us to, that he wanted to save us from sin and death. If there's anyone here who has not obeyed the gospel, you need to believe in Jesus' divinity and his authority. You need to repent of your sins, confess his name before men, and be baptized to be forgiven of your sins. If there's anyone here, however, who maybe is, is on a, a wandering path, who's on a wayward path and needs the prayers of the church, we'd be so happy to, to help you with that and be, and be happy to pray with you. James says to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we, that we may be healed. And that is a beautiful promise to the children of God. If you have any need at all, won't you come as we stand and sing?